Lord, we just thank you for this time. As we look at your word, we ask you to bless it and, and guide us as we teach. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4. We just had the baptism of Jesus two weeks ago, and we had the genealogy. So now we're going to have Jesus starting his ministry. So starting in chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when it, they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him unto, unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give you, and the glory of them, that is, for that is to be delivered unto, that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If you will therefore worship me, all shall be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a high pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you at any time dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, said, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. We want to look at this because this is kind of interesting section. This is not the only time Jesus was tempted of Satan. <laughs> all right. Note that the very end of this said the devil departed for a season. So a lot of people think, well, this was the only time Jesus was tempted, but he's been tempted before this, obviously, and he's been he will be tempted after this. So why is this one in, in the scriptures? Well, the first thing I want to mention is this happened after a very big event in his life. He had been baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and the voice from heaven came down and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that every time you get up on a spiritual high of a mountaintop and you come down thinking that everything is perfect, I can take on the world, nothing will ever make me feel bad again, and Satan attacks. <laughs> and he makes you feel even more miserable. And then you have this problem when you, if you fail, God, how could I have failed when I was so close to you? How could I have failed? And so this is a period that for us would be a hard time. And even for Jesus, this is not going to be an easy time. Remember, he is the son of God, but he is totally human as well. So he is being attacked on all of this, this front. But he is just coming from a great time. I don't know how many of you have ever done a weekend away for a women's retreat or a men's retreat or, or whatever. You, you spent time away and you got, you're really high for... For 24 hours, 48 hours, you've been on top of the world. God has been ministering. You feel like everything's perfect. It's been covered with prayer. Now, those leaders probably haven't had a great time. They've probably been attacked left and right during that period of time. But you come out of it feeling really good. <laughs> and you're ready to take on the world. And then reality hits. Uh, you know, you go away for a while. You know, you go to a retreat and you spend days with God. 
know, one of the greatest things is to be away and spend from morning till evening just focusing on God. Now, the only problem is when you get away from that environment, it is so easy to get away from staying close to God. Because how hard, and we all know how hard it is just to put a devotional time of reading into the Bible if it's not really front in your mind. You sleep late one morning, or you get up a few minutes late, or, or there's snow on the ground, and you have to go out and, and take, get to work a little earlier than you planned, or whatever, and all of a sudden your day is just, you, you skip your routine. And if you do that enough times, it's easy to get out of the habit of your devotional. <coughs> And it's so easy for this to happen. And Jesus is spending in the wilderness 40 days without eating. And we only get the three things that happened at the end of that 40 days. But it says that he was being tempted for the entire 40 days. All right. So don't miss out these little tiny little vignettes in, the, in this section. 40, and I don't know how, if any of you have ever done a 40-day fast. All right. It's a very interesting experience. I've done it one time. It's an amazing thing. Uh, if you go on any lengthy fast, the first four or five days is hard. Your body keeps yelling at you. It's hungry. After a while, the body decides, well, you're not feeding me. There must be something wrong. And it quits, com it quits complaining pretty much. It really does. It, it's kind of strange to believe, but it quits complaining that it's hungry. It just says, okay, we're in starvation. We're in famine mode. About day 35 or 36, the body says, I'm dying, I want to be fed. <laughs> and it starts complaining again. So Jesus is back through the peaceful time of that fast, back to the body complaining. And the very first thing Satan hits him with is, you're hungry, you're God. Now he says, if you are God, probably should have been since you are God. Because Satan had no question of this. So... Uh, it says, since you are God, just make these rocks into bread. You're, you're perfectly capable of doing it. And the statement is that, yes, Jesus was perfectly capable of making those rocks into bread. Matter of fact, he was perfectly capable of just saying, give me bread. All right. But because he's human, he has to be able to depend on the Father. And this is a temptation for him to come in and just take care of yourself. And isn't that one of the temptations Satan gives to us so often? Take care of yourself. Don't trust God. But the problem is every time, at least in my case, every time I trust in myself to get something done, I mess it up pretty bad eventually. It may work for a period of time, but eventually it doesn't work. And so Jesus' answer back to him is from Deuteronomy 8.3. You shall not live on bread alone you need to but every word of God one of the things about this is Jesus answers Satan with scripture every time and in this particular example all of his scriptures come from Deuteronomy all right why do we practice learning verses here in this church is because I want you to have verses in your head so that when Satan attacks you you give him back a verse I'm hoping that it's working in people's lives. I don't know, but I hope that it's working in people's lives, that you're remembering these verses. The verse we're learning this month, there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit. Not, not, walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
is a very important verse. When Satan attacks you and says, God can never love you because you've done something so bad, we come back at him with, there's no condemnation. You know, uh, you know God would never forgive you. We can come back with the 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Not some, not most, but all unrighteousness if we just confess. So these verses are important for us to know. Satan will attack us with, you're the only person that's ever had this temptation in your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There, there is now therefore no, there is therefore no, there is no, temptation but is common to men <laughs> all right but God will provide a way of escape you know? so when Satan attacks us we come back with verses and say this is my answer when we want to be tempted to walk in our own ways just as this one is Proverbs Jesus could have used Proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths we need to be having these verses on the top of our head. And I'm not even going to say you need to know every single word of the ver every single verse that you're using. It's better if you do. But remember the verses. Remember these when Satan is attacking because he does attack. Jesus is not the only one who's ever been attacked. Now, all through scriptures, we see all these people who have been attacked. If you don't, if you don't want to follow Jesus, look at Job. Job had a wonderful time. Went from the richest man to the poorest man. Having a large family to no family. Why? Because Satan said, if you take everything away from him, he will curse you. And for some reason, God let him do that to Job. Partially because Job needed to learn some lessons. And we're not talking about Job today, so we're not going to preach on Job. We'll do that some other time in the future. But we look at this and say... What is going on? Satan is attacking. Say, Jesus, take care of yourself. Don't trust the Father. Take care of yourself. And Jesus, over and over, kept saying in the scriptures, I do only what the Father tells me. He's God. You know, he could have done whatever he wanted, and it really, truly wouldn't have been sin. But because he would become man, he had to submit himself to the Father to be able to do what the Father wanted him to do. So his stance or back was trust in God. So the devil then, on his second one, takes him up to a mountaintop. Now this is quite interesting because this is some supernatural stuff going on. But he takes him from where he's at in the wilderness to a mountaintop. And it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. All the powers, all the stuff. And he says, this is mine to give you if you will worship me. Now, we don't know where Satan made this claim, but it's interesting that Jesus did not say they're not yours to give. He could have said they're not yours to give. Uh, now, in one sense, Satan is the ruler of this world. He was given that much authority because Adam and Eve sinned. They were, ruled, they were given rulership of this world. The song we sang, Adam, where are you? One of the things I think about that song is the first verse starts with the king and queen. The fourth verse says the gardener and his wife, how they had fallen from their position. Man sinned and gave dominion of this world temporarily up to the one who tempted them. Now, we think about this. Uh, the good news is 
He does not get to do what he wants to do in this world. He always has to go to the Father and ask for permission. How much does that anger him? We can't even begin to understand. We know that he has to do it in, in Job, tells us that he shows up with the angels in the courtroom of heaven and, and makes his case, accuses, accuses the brethren. And you know, the strangest thing is, you know, God actually gives him permission to do things to us. Now, in my mind, I would like him to give him a little less permission to do things to me than he does. But you know what? In the long run, I know that it's for my good and it's for my testing and my trials and my, and my activities. So God knows what he's doing when he allows this. But Satan has to ask for permission. How else do we know that he has to ask for permission? Because Satan hates humanity. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. We fell, but we're going to be redeemed. If he had could do whatever he wanted to do, we would be dead. We wouldn't even got this far. He would have said, I'm killing all humans. Which tells us that God has got him on a leash. And we know that he's like a lion. He's, he's leashed. He's, tame. He's, he's not tame, but he's leashed. He cannot do what he wants. And so this is our good news for us. Whenever we feel like we're being bombarded by satanic attack, we know that God has a reason. God has a leash on Satan. And it may seem ferocious to us at that moment. It may seem hard. It may seem extremely cruel. But what is God asking us to do? Turn to him. Turn to him in the midst of everything that's going on. Because if we try to do it ourselves, we're going to fail. And that's exactly what it is going to do. God pushes us to the limit of what we're able to do and just beyond because he wants us to trust in him. Jesus is hungry and was told, give us. He was taken up and shown the world. And you go, well, what, what problem is that? He's God. Well, you know, this is kind of an interesting temptation when you really look at it. Why did Jesus come to this world was to die for so that he could redeem the world and be given the world's control. Satan was telling him to do just what he tells us all the time. Let's shortcut that. You don't have to go to the cross to get control of the world. I'll give it to you. Do you realize what a, how for the humanity side of this, how this could have been a huge temptation? Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross and pay for their sins. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you the world. You know, it's mine. I'll just give it to you. Now, Satan's a liar. Jesus knew that he couldn't trust him. But how many times do we shortcut? We shortcut and say, well, you know, God's asking me to go through all of this pain, all of these trials, all of these problems. And Satan is saying, well, if you just do this, you can have everything that you wanted. If you just do a few good works, it'll overcome your bad, then you'll go to heaven. That's Satan's lie. Over and over, he'll make that lie to us. You want fame and fortune, you'll get your fame and fortune, and you'll be happy. Fame and fortune does not make people happy. Wealth does not make people happy. And yet, people buy into this shortcut all the time. All the time. You talk to the lost world especially, they think that if they just get whatever it is they're trying to get, if I just get this, I'm going to be happy. If I just get famous, I'll be happy. If I just get money, I'll be happy. If I just get a family, I'll be happy. 
you know, whatever it is that they're looking at, and it won't make them happy. It will just put them deeper and deeper into sin. It takes following God and trusting him. Satan gave Jesus a shortcut to, to dominion. And Jesus said, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, and you will serve him only. And that is from uh, Deuteronomy 6.13 and Deuteronomy 10.20. That was his answer. Don't tempt God. God gave me a plan to live. I've got to live out his plan. And it is so easy to look at the plan that God has and say, God, this plan's too difficult. This plan, this, this plan leads to lots of pain and anguish. And God is saying, but I will be with you. I will be with you. I will deliver you. I will walk with you. So we don't want to reject God's, God's ways and God's plans and tempt him because it is a big deal. Satan's third, third opportunity was to take him up to the top of the temple. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. We hear that God transports people at various times. Uh, the biggest one that I can think of off the top of my head is Philip. If you know about the story of Philip, Philip goes out to the wilderness. He talks to the Ethiopian eunuch. He, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. He gets baptized, and it says, and he found himself. All right? Philip was moved 150 miles from where he was to where he, where he found himself. All right? Very interesting statement. And the idea was he was snatched away from the eunuch and put someplace else. Just as when we have the rapture, we will be snatched out of this world and taken someplace else. There's other places, and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but this idea that Satan had this, was able to just say, okay, we're on this mountain, now we're on the temple. At the top of the temple. And he says, okay, Jesus, just jump off. And you know, it's kind of interesting. Jesus had been quoting scripture to Satan, and all of a sudden Satan quotes scripture back to Jesus. And he quotes Psalm 91, 11 through 12, and he says, For it is written, his angel so, uh, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you at any time should dash your foot against a stone. Now it's kind of interesting that they take this out of context, because the context of Psalm 91 is that for it's the people of Israel, <laughs> that God is going to protect his people. Now, some people do say this is a Messianic psalm as well. Uh, so he's quoting scripture back to Jesus. This is probably the most dangerous temptation that we will have as Christians. To take a scripture out of context and use it wrong. And this is something that's very important and I share with everybody all the time. If you're struggling with some, what something means, look at about 10 or 20 verses before it about 10 or 20 verses after it and make sure that it says what you think it means. Most of the time when people will ask me a question, my very first thing, and you all know that this happens, you ask me a Bible question and the very first thing I often do will see what it says in context and I'll read through before and after and usually when you read before and after it makes a lot of sense. But it is true that these verses get taken out of context. One of the ones that gets used all the time out of context is out of Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed. And a lot of people will say that means that we all have, are supposed to be physically healed. The only problem with it is if you read it in context, it's talking about spiritual healing. Now, I'm not going to say God doesn't heal. Believe me, I believe in God's healing. But don't use that verse 
to say that God's got to heal somebody. That verse is all about we're spiritually sick, we're spiritually sick, we're spiritually sick, and by his stripes we are healed. And you read it in context. Another one that people take out of context is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. We all, you know, you know, love endures all things and all that. Do you realize that that chapter, is if you take it in context, it's a spiritual gift? It talks about the spiritual gifts before that chapter, talks about the spiritual gifts after that chapter, and it gives an entire chapter on the gift of love. How many times do we think about the spiritual gift of love, which is given to all of us, that God says, you will know that they are my disciples by their love one for another. That verse is a gift. That chapter of the gift of love. You know, so we want to be looking at context. Look at the context of Scripture. Because it's been said that you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. And if you lift your verses out of context enough, you can make the Bible say just about anything that you want it to say. But it only has one true meaning. And that is by going through the Scriptures, taking verses in context. We talked earlier from the question about no condemnation, about the three parts of salvation. Too many people take the justification and glorification out of context and say, well, the sanctification stuff we don't want to, be, we don't want to believe in. You know, we, you're, you're, you're perfect, so how can, you, how can you need to be sanctified? And there are churches that teach that. They forget all about the sanctification and tell you that you will lose your salvation if you don't, lo- if you don't live perfect and you make sins. You've lost your salvation because you were, you were perfect. How unstable a Christian walk can you live? I'm sorry, but my God says I have eternal life. And that means that from the moment I got saved, it's eternal. Now, God is not an Indian giver and he's not a liar. He did not give me eternal life to take it away. Because by definition, it wouldn't be eternal if he takes it away. So he gives us eternal life. When we are saved, it is forever. Now, the question is, did I get saved? And that's a whole other story altogether. All right? But do I truly put my trust in him? And when you do, you know that you're saved. You know that you know that you're saved because you have repented and he has come into your life and he has made those changes. And it is a beautiful thing. When Jesus was told that uh, test him, his answer came from Deuteronomy 6.16, and he says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement because we are not to presume on God. And then we take this with the other side of the question, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. To me, this is one of the hardest things to understand. How do I walk by faith in tempting God? I'm not going to have an answer for that. I have struggled with this for years because you go to many on especially in the Baptist side where we don't want to trust God for anything. You know, God, uh, I'm, I'm self-supportive. I'm not going to tempt you. I'm not going to tempt you, God. I'm not going to do anything that's going to tempt you. Then you go to the extreme Pentecostal word of, word of faith side where they take, the, take it so strongly that they will do stupid things because they're going, God, uh, uh, you said you're going to bless me, so I'm giving away all my money and you're going to pay my bills somehow. You know, and I'm not, and they, and they truly believe it. They truly believe that that's what God's going to do. Jesus' answer to that would be, don't tempt God. 
Now the other extreme is, God, I've got to pay all my bills first, and if there's any left over, I'm going to give you my leftovers. <laughs> now if you've ever followed that path, I guarantee you, your leftovers are very, very little to nothing. And you're going, God, you owe me money because there's no money left over. Uh, you know, but So there's two extremes on this. We need to find what God is saying and walk by faith. God asks for a tithe. And I'm going to tell you, and we've taught this before, and this isn't a tithing message, but if you give God 10% of your money, your 90% goes a lot further than your 100% ever does. That has been every time I have ever talked to people, every time I have practiced that, it has been true. Then God says, give a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more, and God blesses that as well. But having followed that principle, just don't go out one day and say, okay, God, if 10% is good, then I'll give, you, I'll give you 100% and you'll pay my bills. You'll find yourself out in the street and hungry very quickly. All right? Now, if God tells you to give 100% and you know that he's told you to give it, then give it. You know, it's not a problem. But make sure that it is God telling you to do it. Follow through with him because there's going to be times when you're going to be asked by God to do things that make no sense. This takes us back to uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. There are times when God is going to tell you to do something and it makes no sense. And if he's telling you to do it, do it. If you're in the scriptures and God says, do this, then follow him. If he speaks to your heart and says, do something, obey him and do it. It is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy to do because the more faith you experience... And the more you walk in faith, the more God's going to ask. And he just keeps moving it on and saying, are you going to walk by faith? The just shall live by faith. That verse is quoted in four different places in the Bible. Four different places that that verse is quoted. You know, and God is sex, expects us to walk by faith, not by sight. Why is that so difficult for us? Because we're flesh and blood. <laughs> We look at something and say, God, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Peter was told, uh, come out and walk on the water. Now, most people have not been told to go out and walk on the water. So don't go trying to walk across the pool or the ocean or the, or the sea if God didn't tell you to. But Peter steps out of the boat and walks on water. How much faith did that take? You know, uh, I don't know that I would have stepped out of the boat. The boat's sinking and maybe I would have. I don't know <laughs> The boat was filling with water, you know, it's sinking, and Jesus says, walk out here, and Peter literally steps out. And he did find this while he was looking at Jesus. But it says that he took his eyes off Jesus. What did he see when he, when he took his eyes off Jesus? Waves, storm, rain. <laughs> the fact that I'm walking on water and I can't walk on water. <laughs> and what did it say happened to him? He started sinking. But he did know what to do. He called out to Jesus, who lifted him up and put him back in the boat. God is going to ask us to do things that make no sense. When you know that he's asking him, asking you to do it, step out and walk. But don't presume that he's asking you to do something when he's not asking you to do something. How do you know what he's asking? Because you learn his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice when you spend enough time with Jesus you spend enough time with God you will get to know his voice 
And that's very important for us, you know, to begin to know his voice. And I talk about, especially in a group like this where everybody's older and knows, and knows you, we can remember the days when you actually picked up the phone without knowing who was on the phone. Okay, you didn't have caller ID telling you who was on the phone and you had to pick it up if you wanted to find out who was calling. And how many of us would just start having a conversation with somebody and they never said, hi, this is so-and-so, but we knew their voice. This is how close we're supposed to be to God. That when we're talking with him and he's talking with us, we know his voice. And when you know his voice and he starts telling you to do things that make no sense, do them anyway. Do them anyway when you know his voice. Now, he's never, one thing you can also know, he will never tell you to do something that's contrary to scripture. Now, I can't tell you over the years how many, especially younger people have come up and say, well, I really think God wants me to get married to this person. Are they a Christian? Well, I don't think so. God isn't speaking to you. <laughs> you know, well, how can you be sure? Because God says, don't be unequally yoked. You know, it's very easy. If what you think you're being told is contrary to Scripture, then you're not being told by God. You're being whispered to by Satan or your own flesh. Don't listen to something that's contrary to Scripture. So this is the very first thing. If you think you're being told to do something and you can go to the Bible and it says don't do it, then it's not God speaking. And I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard people try to justify, well, God says it's okay for me to be a homosexual. Sorry, God says homosexuality is a sin, so he does not say that. You're thinking that, you're believing that, but it is not God. God told me it was okay to go have fornication and live with somebody. God says fornication is a sin. Don't, don't do it. The world may say it's okay, but God did not say it's okay. We need to understand when God says something's wrong, and there are quite a few things in the Bible that God says are wrong. There, there are a lot of gray areas in the Bible, but there are a lot of things where he says this is wrong. God says to speak the truth in love. Now, that doesn't mean we get bold and, and everything we say has to hurt people because that in love part is important. There are ways to say, this, say to somebody the, the truth without uh, causing pain. Now, truth is going to cause pain anyway. Truth must be spoken, though, to be able to bring somebody out of whatever it is they're doing. And it may cause pain, but it needs to be done in a loving way that says, live this way properly. Jesus turned to the Satan and said, don't tempt the Lord. And after this third one, it says that this devil left him for a season. And in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse uh, 11, it says that the angels came and ministered to him. How many times have you had the angels come and minister to you after, you, after you've had a hard time? You, know, you may not probably had literal angels right there, but you know, have you ever gone through a really hard time that you've walked with God and, and you felt beat up and then all of a sudden you've just had the ministry? It might have been from the church. It might have been from a call from the church. Might have been from coming to a church service or whatever. Might have been your friends coming around and they just ministered and lifted you up when you felt totally miserable. This is the power of the body of Christ. The true body of Christ that when you are feeling beat up and bruised, they lift you up and encourage you. 
This is why the church is so important. The church does not save us. The church does not make us a better, better Christian in, a, in, in the long run. But it does give us people that care. It does give us people who will lift us up when we're having a hard time. In Hebrews, we're told, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching. There's going to be coming a day when we cannot get together in a group like this in the open. We will have to be more like the underground church where, you know, if you don't understand, in some of these places in, in Romania and China, it takes them about three hours to gather because only one or two people can come at any one time to, this, to the, house, the place they're meeting. They'll meet for about a half hour, 20 minutes just to be able to share the word of God and it'll take them another three hours to go home. We don't know what that's like in America yet. There may come a time when we're meeting in the, in the, in the darkness in the middle of the night to be able to meet as a group of believers. Don't take our current time lightly where we can come together whenever we want, however we want. And if you think it's not, not going to happen, we're going through it right here in America. For the last year, Californians could not meet in a church in any more than 10 at a time. And this wasn't the only state where that was happening. Now, the, the Supreme Court just struck that down so that they, can't, they, they limit them to 25% of their capacity. But we're looking at trials and tribulations in our country starting. We need to be prepared for when this is going to happen. And I don't know why it's been burdened on me so much, but I really truly believe we're getting close to the end times, and if we're not ready and we're not preparing our hearts, we're going to be in trouble. Because nothing is worse than hitting something unprepared. You, know, you need to prepare your heart for the trials and tribulations that are coming. Now, it'll be good. It'll be good for the church to go through this. Everywhere where trials and tribulations happen, the church grows. It's an amazing thing. The more, the more Satan tries to stop the church from, from going forward, the more it grows. And this is an amazing thing. You know, it doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking, but God says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He will grow his church. And it'll do... The best part of this persecution is the tares and the non-Christians will drop out because they're not going to be willing to give their life. That's the artificial, it, the story of the parable of the tares and the wheat. Jesus, plant, God plants the wheat and Satan plants the tares. And wheat and tares look like wheat as they first start growing up. But the tares look like wheat. And the church is full of people who look like Christians. Some churches more than others. Good, strong, Bible-teaching churches will have less, tear, less artificial and more real. There are some churches which probably have little to no real Christians in them because they don't teach the Bible. They don't do anything. And a good Christian is going to get out of that kind of a church. This is the important thing. God knows who is a, good, who is a Christian and who is not. Jesus said in that day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they go through it down this long list of good works. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it's all in a relationship with him that we get to heaven. Good works, oh, they're wonderful. Good works have great reward, but they don't get us into heaven. 
It's all through Jesus Christ because Jesus said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or actually Paul said it, but, you know, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It takes Jesus to do this. And Jesus went through these temptations and recorded one set of temptations in this long list so that we would know that what we go through is not abnormal. When we're walking for God, we will be attacked. And a lot of it is to see if, prove to us, are we going to go forward? But it is important to understand, Jesus went through that, we're going to go through it. Do not, do not ever think that you're in trouble because you're being attacked. More importantly, if you're not being attacked, you need to take and say, God, what am I doing wrong? If your life is all easy and no problems in your life, no struggles in your life, you might want to be looking and saying, God, what am I doing wrong for the kingdom? Because if you're doing something for the kingdom, Satan is going to come against you. And the more you're doing for the kingdom, the more he's going to come against you. And I warn lots of people, when they say, I'd like to start doing some ministry, I'll warn them, be ready for the attacks that come with it. Be ready for the attacks that come with it. Because if you're a Christian and all you do is come to church on Sunday morning, sit in a pew, listen one hour to a message, and then you don't do anything else for God the rest of the week, Satan knows he's lost you, he's, you're, not going to, you're, you're going to heaven, but he's also not worried about you. You start teaching a Sunday school class, a Bible study, discipling somebody, witnessing, you know, leading in ministry, reaching out to others, now you're a threat to the Satan's kingdom and he's going to come after you. And the more you're a threat, the more he's going to come after you. I find it interesting in my life how much Satan comes after me at times. And I'm at a small church. I can't even imagine what it would be like in a big church where hundreds and thousands of people are being touched. Maybe he's coming after me because of our website. I don't know. But, you know, he doesn't want Christ to be lifted up. And he will try to stop people. And the sad thing is, many times it's Christians that will try to stop us through jealousy, through, through anxiousness. But it's very important. Where are you with God? How much trouble are you in with Satan because of where you are with God? Many Christians think, well, I've got it, no problem. I'm, everything is all smooth and hunky-dory. Not, I have not a problem in my life. And when I hear somebody tell me that, I go, you need to start doing something for God then. And go, well, that's kind of judgmental. I'm going, no, that is the truth. If you're not doing anything for God, Satan's not going to bother you. Your life is going to be easy. Jesus said, they hated me. They will hate you. For American Christians, you know, the, the Christians behind the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain, they couldn't understand, they cannot understand why Christians do not, in America do not get persecuted. And it was kind of funny because I was, talking to one one time and he's going who got out out from behind and goes you know behind the iron curtain we were praying that you Christians in America would start getting persecution because they don't understand Jesus said we would be persecuted they don't understand why we're not getting persecuted which is kind of funny because what are we praying for them that God would stop persecuting <laughs> persecution they're praying for us to get persecution we're praying for them to to stop getting persecuted but you know, when, when he gave that statement to me, it actually resonated with me. 
we probably should be praying for persecution because that means we're doing something for God. We're doing something for God and Satan doesn't like it. The more we do for, for God, the less Satan likes it and the more he's going to cause problems for us. And again, he's got to ask God for permission. And what's God saying? Who are you trusting? Your, your own strength or me? And this is very important for us. When we're going through trials, God is trying to say, who are you trusting? What do you believe in your life? And this is something we need to be able to understand. We should be like Paul. When we're in trials and tribulations, thank God. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. Not for most things, not for good things, but in everything. And when we start having a hard time, we should be thanking God even more. God, thank you that I am worthy of trials. Because God wouldn't allow them to happen if he didn't think that we were worthy of them. The answer in Acts, Acts is a wonderful book because every time you see the apostles being beat, their answer comes back, thank God I was worthy. Thank God he determined that I was worthy of this test. If you're not being tested, ask God to help make you worthy of being tested. I mean, it sounds like a strange thing, but if you really want to walk a spiritual life, you should be walking a life that's going to get you tested. God, though, is our strength. We walk in his strength, and we walk through the trials, and we're looking at him, and we're looking at heaven. Most of the trials do not affect us. Because where is our sight? Heaven. Heaven is our home. If you feel comfortable in this world, there's something wrong. This is not home. Our desire should always be, I want to go home. I want to go to home. I want to go to heaven. I really do. I'm ready to go to heaven anytime God wants me. But while he has a need for me here to preach and teach and help others grow, I want to be down here experiencing all the attacks of Satan, all the problems that are coming along so that others can grow. But as soon as he's done, God, take me home. I'm ready to go home. Now, on one side, I hope... One side, I hope it's going this afternoon, going home. On the other side, I hope it's 20 or 30 years later while I can still preach and teach and, and, and help others grow. I would just as soon see others get saved, see others get grow. My encouragement for us as Christians is look at your life and say, God, am I worthy? God, I know you or I don't know. If you don't know him, then get to know him. But if you know him and you know that you know him, God, help me to see these trials and tribulations for what they are. Now, some of these trials and tribulations are our fault for, for consequence of sin. Don't mix those ones up with, with the attack of Satan. When we sin, there is consequences. But we also need to understand that God allows us to have trials. And we're going to end there because this is, this is the big challenge I have for us. Where are we with God? Where are we with him? And as we go forward, we're going to go, we're going to have an altar call here. We're going to ask people, if you want to come up for prayer, come up for healing, uh, want to bow down at the altar or up at the front pew, I don't care. Uh, healing, commit yourself to God, encouragement, whatever. We're going to give you an opportunity to come up. But we're going to close right now in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, we're going to ask that today, they will repent of their sins and recognize they're a sinner deserving hell and they will 
repent and turn away from their sin and accept your sacrifice for them and, and ask you to come into their heart. And Lord, for those of us that are Christians living here, Lord, we ask that you put on our heart to follow 1 John 1, 9 and confess our sins and be forgiven, to stand out in boldness and challenge the world to, in your case and, and see what you would have for us to do and put Satan to work. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10.9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family. We encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.